Welcome. You are listening to me, Henrik. I have started a podcast called The Honest Podcast that tells people how to live their lives based on my innate common sense and decades of doing the wrong thing twice. Together with a constantly changing panel of friends and other self-proclaimed experts, The Honest Podcast discusses interesting topics every month with brutal honesty and a lot of sarcasm. I hope you have fun listening to the podcast, maybe even get inspired, but I'll be very sad if you actually learn something. Enjoy. Hey everyone, hope you're having a fantastic start to 2023 with spring just around the corner. Or maybe you're feeling a bit indifferent about everything. Maybe it's just another year again, another list of things to accomplish that you might never achieve. Because you don't have time, Maybe you don't have the money. Why don't you actually do the things you like? What's holding you back? Or are you just being lazy? Maybe you feel you could be really good at something, but you just don't know what it is. Why is life so complicated and difficult? Is it your job, your wife, husband, your kids, or just this stupid world? What is the meaning of all this? And what is the purpose of my existence? If the voice inside your head is asking you all these questions, stay tuned, because today we talk to someone who has spent the last decade trying to find the answers. Welcome to you, Vincent Darani. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Vincent is half German, half Hungarian, half Swiss, or maybe some other halves in there. Vincent, and where you also lived for six years, seven years, speak yes. Portuguese. Yeah. He then realized that money, power, and fame didn't give him the fulfillment that he was seeking. And he also noticed that friends, family, colleagues, society as a whole wasn't happy. So there was a much suffering in the world, and instead of looking at the root cause, people would sedate themselves with antidepressants, alcohol, bad food, or other unhealthy addictions, just to cope with their reality. So Vincent quit everything and instead dedicated his life to find answers so he could help people live a happier, healthier life, more aligned to their sole purpose. And this is exactly what we're going to talk about today. So hang on to your souls, everybody. This might get very deep. And Vincent, I'm going to kick you off with an easy one. First question, what is the meaning of life? Let me, before I give my very short, clear and brief and succinct answer to this very simple question, let me just go a step back to what you just said and, you know, that I left all and gave up or rescinded fame, money, power. It wasn't really that quick. This whole journey over the nearly last decade started because my co-founder and I, in our Brazilian venture, just to say, I'm just going to ask you a question so that we got into that instead of me asking the question of meaning of life. So I'm just going to say, Hold uh, on, yeah, okay. so that, this might get very deep. Before we begin the questions, can you elaborate a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Yes. So it wasn't as quick and simple as, or I guess quick is not the point, but you were saying 10 years ago, I just left the seeking for money, fame, and power, and just started looking for 
happiness, etc. It wasn't really that direct. I, in my last Brazilian venture, my co-founder and I had a, what I call a professional divorce. It was very nasty and I ended up leaving the company as a result and found myself sitting on the floor of my new apartment in New York, where I also met you in 2015. And I was planning to start my next venture in a kind of more mature market in the US. But every morning I would ask myself, what's the meaning of life? What happened with my co-founder? Why did he fight? Why was I in Brazil? Why was I building a business? What's the point of it all? And so I was starting to set out seeking answers to that. But my unconscious craving, my, my ego still wanted to be someone famous, to be someone rich, to be successful. So none of this was gone at that point, even though I wasn't aware of it, but it was still running in the background. And the only thing is, what was new was this question that didn't leave me alone. What is this all for? What are we running after, all of us, including myself? And that's kicked off the journey. That has been how many years now? So that was 2015. Now we have the end of 22. So it was eight years. Although, of course, it didn't start as a full seeking journey that it later become. At the beginning, it was just like, oh, I had a blank slate. So I was like, oh, there's other things that are just building companies or making money. Oh, there's Burning Man. And then I went to my first coaching course and then I went to a retreat in Bali and started exploring, I wouldn't even call it at that point, spiritual stuff, but it was. And so I got into that and then it was the first time ayahuasca and then I went to Tony Robbins at some point and et cetera, et cetera. So it just became this quest of trying everything and trying to understand everything. And of course that's impossible, but that was, there was always, whenever I answered a question, or I had a question and I thought I found an answer, then 10 new doors opened. And mm. I was like, oh my God, now I have to go those down. I remember one San Pedro ceremony we once did in, in Tisvile, mm. in my neck of the woods in Denmark. And uh, we were all coming into the ceremony and this was actually a couple of friends of mine who were hosting it and quite new to the whole plant medicine ceremonial facilitation. And, but they still did a nice job and we had a big circle and all dressed in white and we sat down and before the ceremony started, we all had to say what our intentions were as you do in those kind of things. And then we all went around the circle and then it was Vincent's turn to, to answer that question. And then very modestly, he said, I, for this ceremony, I would like to know what the meaning of life is. <laughs> so. My question here as the first one, the easiest question maybe, what is the meaning of life, Vincent? So, funny, I don't even remember that I asked this question. I remember our weekend together there, but I don't remember the question. I don't have the answer and actually anything that I share today, you shouldn't believe anything, but it might put a seed or might help you in asking a question yourself. And then, because in the end, we're all here to find the answers ourselves. There is no guru, there is no one who has the answers, but there's other people who have gone further looking for answers. And so they can be guiding posts. They can be yeah, seeds for your own journey. So I hope this conversation can be a little contribution to that. So from where I'm at, and actually there's also, it's a two-step journey. One is knowing what the answer is, if there is such a thing. And the second thing is embodying it, which is the much harder thing. So one step is awareness and the other one is if you call it integration or embodiment living it and this is actually something i observe and i now see all the time within me and everybody else that we have, we have this quest for knowledge i need to know everything because that's what out of the last eight years 
I would say for seven years, I was on a quest for knowledge. I was like, I have to go there, I have to read this book, I have to do this course, I have to do this ceremony. Check all the boxes. Yeah, and it was, it was driven by the desire to be able to live it, but it was focused on the mental part. I was like, okay, someone has to have the answer. And what I found then out in literally, I would say my last year, or maybe the last one and a half years is, this is all very well and nice, but in the end, it is just being it. And of course, first you have to know what to be. And now you have to tell me the question again, because I... You went off. Yeah. But that, it's, so the meaning of life, right? Ah, you, so, yeah. But you say it, it, it sounds a little bit like the chicken or egg, too, that you have to, like, first you have to understand it, and then you have to embody it or embody it. So you have to practice the meaning of life to achieve the meaning of life, if you will. Yeah, I, the meaning of life is not in, regardless of what we do, is there, is there a meaning to I, life? Yeah, I believe there's also an answer or answers to that yeah. question. That, Are you applying meaning to life or is there a meaning of life without you applying meaning to it? Yeah. So yeah, this is the two-step thing. Like first you have to bring to awareness, you have to answer the question and I'll get to that in a second about what I believe the meaning of life is. And then you have to embody it. So just having the answer, even if I were to give it to you and you would believe it and it would be true, is not the full journey. And so from where I'm at today, I believe the meaning of life is to find back to light or love. Now that sounds very voodoo and vague and most of you might roll your eyes, but what does it really mean? The end, in the end, we're here on a learning journey. So I used to be an atheist. I used to be what you would call the kind of science and rationally only minded person. And what I realized on my journey is that science and spirituality are actually two sides of the same coin. They're not enemies. It's just the way we understand them that they're seemingly incompatible. Science is the masculine and spirituality is the feminine and they're just two poles. And when you start understanding that and when you start understanding that the human body is, and now I'm going off on a tangent again, the human body is just a dense expression of your spiritual being, which is you being quantum information, etc. then you start connecting dots between soul, health, life purpose. Anyway, we might cover some of this later, but I want to jump back to the question you just asked me. So What's the meaning back, of light? Coming back to light and love. So meaning that you already were light and love? Yes, we are someone before we come here, a soul or whatever word you want to know, use an expression of consciousness. And that's really what the universe is. And then we come into form here on this planet Earth to have an experience, to experience polarity between, let's call it light and darkness, between good and bad, between beautiful and ugly. We need polarity to understand. If there's only one thing, then you cannot appreciate the other thing. I can only appreciate love and beauty and light and ease of being if I have experienced disease, darkness, etc. So this is what really life is. We come here with a certain, with a goal to learn something. And mm. in the end, that's the kind of high level is returning back to light. Think of it, and all, you have all these parables in religious texts. When you really look at them, what they're talking is not what they are literally talking about. It's figuratively. So the Garden of Eden is that place of light and love. We're leaving it to explore. And so we have to experience darkness and disease and bite the apple because in our search for wisdom or in search for it's curiosity and then, like, and then you leave light and love right because, and then yes you somehow 
your, the rest of your life is your journey towards coming back to heaven. The biting the apple is, it's us, obviously, we see something and we're like, oh, I want to, it's the curiosity. And it's the, the biting the apple, figuratively, means it's ego. It's I suddenly make life about, oh, I need to be powerful, I need to be important. Mm. And that is what takes me away from the light and the love. So I become selfish and that creates the suffering as a result. But where's the ego coming from? The ego is planted into part of the journey of the human journey. So before, before we come to earth, there is no ego. We're just a being. But, but that's the thing. How does the ego develop? Is it a societal? Is it something that you are conditioned into creating? Or do you have an ego from the very beginning? You come out of the womb and you know, you are someone and now you become conditioned. So, like even while you're in the womb you're being conditioned already yeah. if the mother is in a war zone she will be very her blood will be full of cortisol and adrenaline and the baby will be conditioned for a very adversarial environment and probably be quite traumatized already before oh. they even leave the womb and then coming out the actual birth process is very painful and right you go from this very cushy warm place into a cold dark world and that's why babies scream when they come out and you have to breathe suddenly before there was no breathing and so all of this is trauma traumatized your actual birth traumatizes us but it's all part this is all part of the journey it's part of the process it's all meant the to show. be that way yeah i'm just thinking and we're probably going to come back to talking about ego but it's interesting to like ego in so many ways prevents us or is more harmful and to yourself and to others and to the world in general it doesn't optimize for happiness or content or all the good things but it's still it's so much in the driver's seat of most people. And where is it then coming from? If, can we trace it back to saying ego basically stems from our ability to survive. And without the ego, we wouldn't be able to survive because that's something that I take the food for myself instead of the others. And therefore I survive and they die. So is that where the ego originally came from? But that would then mean all the animals would have egos. And, but the animals are living in more balance with nature than we are. So our ego has spun out of control along the journey. So it is much more dominant with us than any other species, I would even argue. And yeah, where is that something that is a, maybe that was biting the apple and chasing the fame, fortune, power, all that. But really, in essence, those are wrong things to optimize for because that only brings unhappiness, whereas light and love is the true essence of happiness. But maybe you can elaborate a little bit about what you mean by light and what you mean by love. Yes, let me first answer how I think about the ego. Like the ego is coming into because we become separated. Before, we're like one with consciousness. And so the separation as we, we come into earth and we enter a body and we live from that body and forget who we really are, Suddenly we're separated. We're a separate being. And that desire, that craving to come back, we feel we are not whole. We've suddenly, something has been pulled out of us. Mm. And so that now we are trying to complete ourselves again. And we think we can do it through external things. If I have more money, if I have more love, if I have more sex, if I have a bigger house, if people appreciate me more, then I will feel whole. But that wholeness is actually an internal thing. So I, that's what creates this world where we're in, where we're missing more and more, and it's never enough. 
If you have 10 million, then you want 100 million. And yes, we all say, oh, there's this and this, and then I will be happy. But then we get to that point and it doesn't happen. So why? Because we're trying to complete, we're completing something that is always complete. And so we're, we just feel we're not whole, right? Whole, not complete, but we feel we are not whole. So we chase, 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 and the ego does that. And from a biological perspective, it is me wanting to acquire more resources because if I have more resources, for example, as a man, then I get a more beautiful woman or a more, that then it get, drives my genet, genetical pool. For example, why are generally, and again, I'm generalizing, but why, why is there a tendency for men to prefer blonde women? Because blondness is an expression of youth. Blondness fades. So I know the woman is young, is fertile, so I can create offspring. So there are these kind of processes in the, that we are unconscious that are sitting in the reptilian brain and our job is becoming aware of that. Our job is to wake up to that reality and go back to the light, realizing we've always been whole. This body is simply an expression, a temporary form we are taking mm -hmm. to have this experience. So you are already what you're searching for. Yes, there's nothing. It's just me remembering it. And then, as I said, one bit is the awareness. The other bit is then embodying it and getting out of selfishness and realizing that the more love I give, the more generous I am, the more I will receive. It's like, that's the paradox in a way. We think I need more so I feel better. No, I need to give more and then I shall receive more, not in terms of necessarily material, but even that is true, I believe, but just in the sense of the feeling, because what I really want is I want to feel whole. I want to feel love. This is what we want at the core, but we get confused that we can get these things through other stuff. And why do we get confused? Well, the, again, that's the whole purpose of the journey for us to explore this polarity. I cannot know what light is if I have not experienced darkness. Mm. I cannot, I need to feel love. I know, need to know what fear is. And this is what we're really in, right? The reptilian mind of the brain, and which is the animal brain, is fearful. Why? Because it needs to survive. Its sole purpose is survival, and it can survive more the more it has. In 2023, survival is, for most of us, definitely most of these listeners of this podcast, they are not in a threat of survival, yet the mind operates from that place, continues to operate, and it will never stop. It doesn't matter if you have a whole army to protect you and 15 bunkers and all the money of the world, you will still want more because that's, in, that's what we need to wake up to. And that's what creates also all the misery in the world that we keep and that's how we destroy the world also. All the exploitation, all the kind of... So do you think that the people who actually has the most could also be the people who are maybe the unhappiest because they are still in the pursuit of more and more and maybe that has become something that is now there that they identify with, that is them, therefore they can't give it up because then all of a sudden what what is left if they don't have that, right? Yeah, and so I think... And that's, again, easily understood and misunderstood. Like, life is full of paradoxes depending from which plane. I, I think of it a little bit like a mountain you're climbing, and the higher you get, the better an overview you have. And what was true at a lower level, you now see it's not true anymore. Suddenly you're above the clouds, and you have different perceptions of reality. And, uh, and so I, you can have a lot of money and be very happy. Money is not the driver of unhappiness. And... I, don't, I wouldn't say that rich people have a tendency to be less happy than poor or poorer people, let's say. So I, there's not a correlation. Of course, if you're struggling to survive, 
So you, let's say you have close to nothing, you will not have a happy life. So there, more money will make you happier. But from a certain level, more money will not drive you happier because you're trying to plug something that cannot be plugged by money. Now, you can be very rich and very happy, but it's all a question of awareness. If you can be in the present moment and you are a giving person, then you will be happier. And the more you can be that, the more you will be happy. Our job is to not plan and control life, but to surrender to it. And so the more we can surrender and say, everything is exactly the way it is, and now I can take a step to create a difference, to, to change something. Even I go to, to have a conversation or I'm meeting someone, but I go one step at a time. I can have a vision out there, but my job is not to plan everything through and say, okay, I'm getting the house and I'm getting the wife or the husband and then this and this and this company, and then I will be happy. No, this is not how life works. Life will throw all kinds of stuff at me. My job is just to think, okay, I'm taking this step now and all I do is I commit to showing up. I commit to be that ideally that loving, generous person and not being succumbed by my ego and by my selfishness. If I keep doing that, I will have a wonderful life. That's, that is my, because I'm growing. I'm realizing this is not about me. I'm simply in a body which is a vessel for me to express my higher self. And my higher self doesn't have an ego. My higher self just wants to expand. And expansion is when I get out of the comfort zone. And out of the comfort zone is letting, letting go. Rich, poor, etc. Like you can become extremely wealthy by being extremely unselfish. But you won't care about the wealth anymore. It's just a byproduct. Basically, you want to detach from the outcome. And you just want to say, hey, I'm on a ride. I'm in a train. I'm not driving the train. I'm just making, I'm responding to life as I'm whatever I see outside the window. So I might be, I can choose now I'm going to this city or that city, or I'm taking a step, I take a left turn or a right turn in my car, but then I look again, what's here? And then I take my next decision, but it's not that we plan the next 10 years, because I think we all know that, but it's good to remember that I have no clue what will be happening in 10 years. So whatever my plan will be, it will not work out that way. So I might just well surrender and say, let me experience the beauty because my mind will never be able to plan or create the beauty that life can create. So by me controlling, I'm getting in the way. And maybe that's not the meaning of life, but the key to a meaningful life and a happy life is to get myself out of the way. What does that mean? Get my ego out of the way, get my selfishness, get my need to control out of the way. And when I do, but I guess the control is also from a fear perspective, right? That exactly. If, if you don't know, the, or then you automatically fear it, right? Or then the, I would say this ego, but then it's a fight or fright mode again that kicks in, right? That you then want to control and you're afraid of losing control. Yes. So, so that's what I also mean is to say something about ego. Ego doesn't necessarily mean egoistic. It just is me thinking I'm separate from everything else. Mm. And that's why I have to think about myself first and that's the illusion and the more and yes it's fear driven the ego is as our primal nature is there's not enough and i'm fighting if i have more then i will be safer so i need to take something away it's a zero-sum game i need to take say away some money from you or some power or i need to be more powerful that's why also when you ask people would you prefer of having 100,000 and everybody else has 200,000 on their bank account or income or would you prefer having 50,000 and everybody else has 30,000? 
most people say, I want 50,000 because I want to have more than everybody else. Mm. And now you can analyze all of that. There's many variables here, but that's a perversion. We, we just want to be better off at others and we think then we're better off. But that's the illusion again, because it's not a zero-sum game. Things like abstract generosity or love, they're not a zero-sum game. We can all be more loving and giving and everybody wins. But our mind lives in the dimension of time and space and linearity. And so it just sees what's out there and it says, okay, I need to have more to be safer. And so our whole journey is moving from fear and separation to love and unity. And that's the journey of life. And that's the meaning of life. And the more closer we inch towards that, the more beautiful our life becomes. And also what I've experiencing, especially over the last months, is the synchronicities. Suddenly I'm thinking I need to find something or I need to have something, etc., for my journey, not from a selfish perspective, just to, to move forward. And then it pops up into my life. Now, you cannot, and I would not have believed that if anybody tells me that, you have to experience it. And actually that's also bring us to another point, like anything, like wisdom is something you need to experience. That's what creates wisdom. So you need to have an experience. You cannot read any of that and you cannot hear it from our conversation. All conversation or knowledge can do to you like a book or this podcast is to inspire you to look for it yourself. Then you experience it. Think about like love or the experience of having sex before you ever were in love or you ever had sex or you drank a glass of alcohol. It doesn't matter what you pick. I cannot describe it to you. I can say, okay, alcohol makes you a little bit like this, but you never experience it. So you have no idea. And so it's the same with this as well, like believing in this kind of synchronicity, this magic of life, that it's like suddenly everything falls into place in front of you. When you stop controlling, you cannot, it doesn't make any sense for the mind. And that's actually another key to realizing as long as we're living from the mind, we will miss out on life. We will not get it right because we are using the wrong device. The right device is the heart. And now again, that might sound so abstract. What I mean by the heart, it's intuition. And that brings us to another separation. So let's say I, I park it for a side. You understand what I mean by intuition, because it's not just having a weird feeling about a person. There's so much more to it, but it, it requires a further discernment between intuition and instinct. Instinct is, is fear-driven largely, so it's a scream at you or I come with a knife towards you, you, you have an automatic reaction and you're like fight, flight or freeze. And that's the, again, reptilian mind response. Now, this makes a lot of sense if I'm coming with a knife or if a tiger, the proverbial tiger is in front of you. But how often is a knife, someone with a knife in front of you or a tiger in 2023 in the Western world? Pretty much none. Yet our minds react or our brains react to that like all the time. Your wife looks at you with me or your boss screams at you or you feel threatened immediately and you go into this automatic response. And that takes you away again. Like you live from the mind, you live from this controlling, I need to protect myself. And so you quench the magic. Another way to put it is think of yourself as the sun. The light is always shine. You're always the light, but there's clouds. And so our job is to not to remove the clouds, but see them for that it is, and then they will go away. Once I see it, then they will go away. Or I give you one more, I think, beautiful analogy that I once came across is we're all this diamond. And this diamond along the life picks up a lot of shit. 
And so it gets covered and shift. And what we are trying to is we then use nail paint to make it look beautiful anymore. But actually what's our job is to remove the shit, not to paint it. It's a little bit like if I'm trying a tree is, yeah, a tree is leaves are turning brown. And so I'm painting the leaves green. No, what I have to do is I have to get the toxin out of the soil. And that's what we're really here for is to remove, as Rumi said, your quest is not to seek for love, but merely to remove all the barriers you have built within you. It is our journey as a human, I wouldn't call it becoming, but finding back to who we always are. It's like, if you think about it, you're a block of clay and you're the sculpture within the clay. It's about chipping away what you're not rather than adding things. But I find it interesting that you're saying that polarity is required in the journey for you to one day realize how to remove it, right? So meaning that in order for you to become like, life, if you will, to come light and love, then you have to have experienced all the bad things, right? You have to have built all the some scars around your heart, the Buddhists call it, where you have had your troubles with your job, with your wife, the tragedy in your family, all these challenges in your life that has that you may have not have at the time been conscious enough to, to understand that the light is still there, right? You've been emerged in the clouds right and you haven't been able to see anything but you say that part of life that part of the journey is required because or else you would not be able to get to the other side where you then understand oh these were all clouds now i can stay above the clouds and i have a much bigger perspective and hence that will allow me to live a more peaceful life a more harmonious life and then my question is, why do we have, why do we all have to go through that learning phase? Right? Can we go, can we live that life from the beginning? Why do we have to go through that? Because most people also never leave that phase, right? So they stay in the clouds and they never, can this be better? So they stay in that job. They stay in, with that husband. They stay in, in a surrounding that may not be something that they like because of obligations, because of money, because of all these things that for them, many call it clouds, there's no way out of, right? And they go to their grave with that mindset or perspective, right? And obviously that's probably, I would say probably that's the rule rather than the exception that happens, right? But why from an early on, from our, because I believe we're all born like that. We're all born light of love. You can say we're traumatized from the first second by popping out and uh, all of a sudden not being one with the universe anymore. But isn't it, couldn't we somehow change the way that we then live our life to be more like we, we should be, you can say, in the end, right? Because I also feel that our lives, maybe our generation, lives a different life than our previous, our, our parents did, right? Where parents was much more, that was survival in to some extent, right? It, it was important to get a job because you didn't know if you could put food on the table. But all these things are not necessarily something that problems, severe problems, our generation face, or we have the privilege that we don't face it. However, you would then argue, then we should be more conscious, more enlightened, more happy. But actually, you're also seeing more people being perhaps unhappy, more people using antidepressants, more obesity, which is just a, a result of psychological problems, I would argue as well, and yeah, more unhappiness in general. That transition, shouldn't a generation become more enlightened? Shouldn't we ask these questions and become happier or more in touch with love and more in touch with life? But that's not what we're seeing. And mm -hmm. so what are we doing? What, why can't we remain 
kids in that sense, or how we are when we were born throughout life, what is going on that is actually projecting us into worse situation or wrong in a worse direction? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a that's great a question. question, and I really I believe we will be more. I wouldn't say enlightened because we're always enlightened, right? The light, like the sun is always there, whether there's clouds or not. The light is always there. We just don't see it because we're lost. Yeah. So why are we more lost seemingly than our parents? Because you rightly said our parents were struggling with survival. If you look, look at Maslow's pyramid of needs, they were at the bottom. They were like trying to meet and they didn't have time to think about fulfillment or now we live in a world where many of us don't have to worry. I would think most of the listeners on the podcast, they don't have to worry about ha having food on the table tomorrow, which that's the real worry. And, and so now we have all these pleasures, right? But we are also much more separated from life because the lives we live today versus our parents are a lot less grounded, right? We look at our phones instead of trees. We don't play in gardens. We're like in boxes. We are like living in a box, which is the city, and then in a house, and then in a room, looking at a box that is a screen, and it, we're totally disconnected. The humanness, we have removed the humanness. We're eating food that it doesn't come from nature. We're breathing air that has been polluted. So you take, we're living lives that are constantly on stress. We don't sleep enough. We don't eat healthy, all of that. And so we're removed from a natural way of being. Now, I don't mean to say we need to all work on the field, but we want to be connected. And I think the most important connection is the human connection. And that connection is created by, I, for example... But that sounds like the whole human race is completely unconsciously driving 100 miles an hour straight into the clouds, so to speak, right? Yeah, I think Where that's... Less conscious, less... And as we can see, these are the results of what we're doing. Why do we then continue to do it? And why is it getting even more extreme? Right? That we would argue that there's no hope for human race because it seems that it's accelerating development and we're not capable of stopping it because our ego, because of our desire for comfort, for safety, for ease, right? The easy choice. What is an easy choice? Hard life, hard, li hard life. Hard, choice. hard choices, easy life, right? I think it was Naval Ravikanta said it. And we constantly take the easy choice, ending up with a hard life in the sense that we're not happy, we're depressed, we're all this. So then maybe that's then the gap here because then we're just animals. And if an animal is presented with, if a dog has an has a unlimited amount of food, the dog will eat all the food until it dies. And it seems like that's what we're going, right? Completely unconsciously doing that. So is there any hope? Because that just seems to accelerate. Or will we at some point have enough people who maybe in power is capable of reversing that, that, that development. Because I also see that as being difficult because we are a democracy. And as long as the majority of people always want the easy choice, you're going to have the people in power who will give them the easy choice. And therefore, that is a self-fulfilling cycle. And it will just like spin out of control because we will always, there'll be more people who would want the easy choice. So the whole world has to wake up, but it has to happen one by one. And they have to realize it themselves, right? Because the people who don't want to like listen, like it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter what you're telling them, if they don't want to listen in the first place, there's never going to be a change. So it has to come from within.
Right? It has to come from within. It can't come from anywhere else, right? Maybe it's influenced by other things, but in the end, it has to come from within a desire to change or to stay above the clouds. So, yeah, that, that sounds great, but it just necessarily doesn't mean it's actually making any changes. It's actually, are we becoming better at life? It doesn't sound like it. No, we're evolving in terms of the challenge. So the beauty is, and this is the very, again, purpose of life is to explain, experience that polarity and both on an individual as a societal level, because what happens on the global consciousness, uh, for example, we have really, we could really see that during the pandemic where the fear just went into everybody, right? And the more, if everybody would have said, and I'm, I'm not making the argument that this should be the case, this is not a podcast about Corona, but if everybody would have said, oh yeah, we just gonna, of course, the yes. virus, we just move through it and be more careful. So that was a perfect example, right? Because that is fear, right? And fear is such a huge part of our lives today. You can't turn on the news without the, being bombarded with all these things that you can't do anything about, but you should be afraid about them, right? Because that sells. And if you said the world's doing great, no need to worry. No one would watch the news because that, that no one clicks that, right? So you have media that feeds you fear. You have politicians that feeds you fear because that gives you votes, right? And the media and the politicians help each other feeding you fear. And Corona was, uh, of course, millions of people died, but for millions and probably and for 99% of everyone, there wasn't any reason to fear, right? Because there's no higher likelihood of you to die from that than for you to die from normal flu, right? Or even if you were driving in traffic, there'd be a higher chance of you being killed in a traffic accident than you dying from Corona, right? But of course, some people died of Corona. A few people died who was also not above 80 years old. And those people, of course, went straight through the media machine and broadcasted it as if it was something that could happen to everyone. And you should be very afraid. And if we don't close down the entire society, if the politicians don't act on the fear, again, democracy, right? If I don't act based on what the majority of the people feel, then I won't get elected for the next election, right? So it's less about facts. It's more about feel, right? And what do the people feel? So here you have the whole world basically locking down because it's based on our inner fear for the unknown, for dying, for what we can't control, right? And no one's really talking about maybe looking at it from a different perspective and saying, hey, you know, does this actually make sense? Why do we fear? Fear is not a good sensation, right? There's no, no need to fear, right? You can stop fear right now if you want to, right? Right now, in this moment, you will not die from COVID, right? So why are you even thinking it? That's a deduction to your happiness, right? You can apply that to any other thing than Corona as well. So you're basically creating unhappiness by constantly both exposing yourself to these things, but also finding yourself with family, friends, colleagues who are absorbed in that fear, right? And that will just generate more fear and more fear, right? It seems that we're, in that sense, like lemmings that is very quick to just gullibly, gullibly believe everything that we're being told without necessarily questioning and it, not to our own benefit. And Corona was a good example of that of how extreme it can actually get, right? Yeah, so I think oh, you covered so much. I tried to take some note. If I 
let me maybe let me start with if I could have one wish fulfilled as a result of what this podcast creates that it brings the clarity to at least two. Maybe if there were just one listener and this one listener as a result of this podcast, of the result of our conversation, realizes that he or she has a choice in every moment to choose between, let me use the words light and darkness. It's to choose what is what they know deep inside is. And that's the intuition I was previously referring to. It's a knowing. It's not a thinking. It's not a strategizing. It's not, oh, if I do this, then I get that. No, it is, I know this is the right thing. And if we realize that is then filters through a society, and that's what some people also refer like, you, sh you shine the light. Shining the light simply means not taking the selfish choice. It doesn't mean not thinking about yourself. It just means to do the right. In, in, as an example of Corona, a lot of people would argue that they know it's the right thing to shut down society, to make sure that less people die from it. And to mm. do that in, in solidarity with the people who are perhaps the weakest, who stand to perhaps lose their life. So they would say, argue that's, they know that's the right thing to do, right? Yes. Okay. So you're right. And that's a very relevant point is that when we're in our minds, that's what I mean. When we're in our minds, they think that's the right thing from their mental perspective, not from a deeper knowing perspective. And as a result, when we are in our minds, which we are 99% of the time, or most of us are this most of the time, then we're in a way, in a way insane. I take a very strong word here, but we get lost in the mind because everything is thinking. The more we think, the more we remove we are from life, from the intelligence of life, from that deeper knowing. Like for example, I could now think, should I have dinner tonight and I with someone and then I could think, okay, the advantages are I might talk with someone, et cetera, et cetera. And then I could think the disadvantages are I need to pay for dinner. I need to drive to dinner. I cannot do something else and it might not be fun. That's not the way to go through life. This is what we are doing and that creates this insanity. And then you just go deeper down that, not rabbit hole, but that path of darkness of thinking, oh, but then I do this. And so you're stuck into constantly thinking about rather than living in the moment is right now i can think about what i do later but i am meant to be in this conversation right now with you and so that brings us into this kind of collective insanity that i believe we witnessed in corona now the beauty about this and that's the beauty of the whole journey of life is we are here to explore polarity good whether there's good and bad is a whole other discussion but let's say light and darkness like positive versus negative seemingly things painful versus beautiful things and Corona was such an event on a collective basis that put us into pain, either physical pain, disease, all of this stuff, or the pain of being locked up, not being able to see your friends or family or loved ones. And so now that is also, a, that is the beauty again. It forces an awakening. Some people woke up and they say, oh, I need to make changes to my life. Oh, I need to review my job. Oh, I need to spend more time with my family. Oh, I need to move to nature. So for those people that Pain is a transformation tool. So pain is not bad per se. It's of course not pleasant, but from a life perspective, pain forces you to revisit your choices. And then you do, right? If, for example, let's take an extreme example. Your spouse dies because of Corona or something else, because of a car accident. You will review everything in that moment because everything changes. Suddenly your world collapses. That is the gift of that event. Now, I hope no one experiences that. And of course, people experience it all the time. 
but it's not something I wish or anybody would wish anyone. The point is just life will throw at you challenges and then they help you grow. They can be small or large. And so Corona was for us an event to grow. And I think a lot of people, especially in our circle and I guess the listeners, they made changes as a result of Corona or in a positive way. So that's the beauty. Now, that doesn't mean we need more Coronas, not at all. But the more we awaken and see that maybe this is the wrong way, we make choices. And that's a bottom-up change that then ripples through the world. And it all starts with me. What choice do I make today, right now, in the next moment? We always do. We, do I take the easy way or do I take the way that I know gets me closer to that place I want to be, the feeling I want to feel? Do I choose fear or do I choose love? It's that it's the constant choice. And this is really the journey of life. And this is why we're here to explore this polarity and then see, get the feedback. If I take that choice and the feedback is not always instant. We are in this dynamic playground here. It's not just my own experience. I can see other people's experience. I can see they made these choices and I can learn from that. I can read books. I can listen to this podcast. There's plenty of data points. And I think one of the key things that we don't do enough, and that's let me going on this journey was like, ask these very fundamental questions. Why am I here? Now, of course, that's not an easy answer, but just asking the question will put you on a journey and provide some answers. And then these answers lead to others. And rather than saying, oh, I don't have time for this. If you don't know what you're doing in life, it's like getting into a car without knowing where to drive. Like you can say, okay, I just, I don't care about where I arrive. Okay. I'm not sure about that metaphor because you are going into the car but life is about being in the car, perhaps, and not necessarily going to any destination. Yeah, okay. But so you can say that it's, it's, a, it's the journey, not the destination. So I agree, but let me just stay with the car metaphor. The point is, when we get into a car, we want to get somewhere, right? Well, I get into the, how most of us do it. We get into a car and then we say, I want to go there. But the I, most important question it's, it's, is like, why do I want to go there? That's the question yeah. what I mean. Or it's the practice of driving it, right? It's more of maybe if you can't drive it and you're banging in left and right and like making, being a menace to other drivers and cars on the road and creating a trouble. It, then whereas if you learn how to l drive the car, right? Yeah. Then it becomes more enjoyable. The car analogy works in several ways and we're just using it in a different way. Mm. The way I meant it is like, we, I want to go, let's say I want to, I want to become a successful CEO and have a big company and bring it public. That will give me the satisfaction that will give me the money. Then I can have the life I want. So the first mistake I make here is that I postpone my happiness into the future. I say, once I have these things, I will be happy. Yeah. The second thing is, so I set a destination that I want to drive to, but I actually don't know why I drive to, I think it will create happiness, but as you rightly say, it's the journey is the destination. So I, if I cannot be happy in my car wherever I am right now, then I will miss out of life because I get to the destination and do the IPO and I will still not feel it. Mm. And then I say, oh, now I need to drive there. And so I postpone you're throughout const life. Constantly searching. Yeah. And, and you so go I'm always life. suffering as a result because I'm never happy. And why am I never happy? Because I'm never here. And that's what thinking does. I think in the future. So thinking is a beautiful tool, but it's meant to be used as a tool, as a support. So I can envision a future. I can build something. I can bring people together to create something that it's for the purpose of creation, but it's not for the purpose of planning my life. I want to use my thinking, my abilities to, to do something, but then be open to what unfolds. 
And so I want to be present in every moment. When I'm gardening, I'm not gardening to have a beautiful garden. I'm gardening because I like to garden. Because and you're result, present. Yes. Or you're cooking. Or yes. you're doing all these things that brings you to the present. And that's why you like them. Right? Yeah. And that's why people do things like drugs or why we have often meaningless sex, etc. Because these things make us very present. Mm. Right. In that moment, we are in a form of ecstasy. And if you forget about all the thinking about the future, you turn off the monkey mind for a yeah, second, right? Yeah. And, but the key to that fulfilling life is to turn off the monkey mind without going, yeah. without the drugs, without the distractions, without the addictions, without, and by drug, literally many things that are not classified as drugs, right? Like the craving for sugar, for overeating, for fast food, for Seriously. running away from life holidays. Why do we need holidays? If life were the way we, you know, we, if we would learn to enjoy life, we wouldn't need a holiday from life. That, that, that is a perversion in itself. Like, why do I need to get drunk? Life can make me drunk, not drunk in a drunken state, but intoxicated. Like, life, if I just look out, we forget to appreciate the beauty of life. I can just, I'm looking here into a, into a forest and to the to see it. You can say, oh, now, okay, you're so lucky, you know, you have this beautiful world. But wherever you can look, I can look at this white table and say, what well, is material? I can experience this. Because as a soul, I cannot experience this. This is what we're here for, to have experienced life through the senses, but not get attached to them. But yeah, I hear you. And I think this is what everyone would like or would want. Not necessarily knowing that is what they want, but the state is what they want. And can people achieve that overnight? Or is it something that they have to work on for years on end? Do they have to meditate two hours a day? Do they have to eat healthy? Do they have to do exercise every day? What? And is this a lifelong journey? I guess the, you'll get the answer the day you take your last breath, right? Because then you will be present <laughs> at that time. You will actually be and present. And then it's, of course, too late in a sense. It is too late, right? And then if you ask the Buddhists, then you will be reincarnated in another body. And then you will have to go through everything again in another attempt to achieve that, that enlightenment. Um, yeah, so, so let so me... How do you get to... Because this is... Uh, this is a, uh, and you say that for every door you open, there's another 10 doors that you need to address, right? So it seems like it's, it's, it's a journey that never ends. Is there an end to this journey? Is so there I'm, a point where you actually get to the fat lady and she sings? Or is that your own death? No, there, there is. And otherwise they would know... This podcast wouldn't make, could be still be interesting, but then it would be just an intellectual conversation. Like I, the purpose is I hope to instill the answer or the answers I found, which is, and let me maybe juxtapose it with what it's not. Like what I see a lot now that I'm, because all the doors I had to go through, I had to go through to realize I didn't actually have to go through the doors. And so it's the two, we have many tools, like why in, in spiritual circles, meditation and yoga, and it's all the rage, especially yoga has taken over the Western world over the last two decades. But the thing is, these things are not, it's like yoga itself won't get you to that state. It's a supporting tool. But if you do yoga 24 seven, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you will not get to that place because then you're obsessed. You, you're again attached to, to the activity, to the yoga. So the point is, but you- And then you need that to be happy. Yeah. Exactly. Then it's just another drug, maybe a healthier one than alcohol, but it's still just another drug to get you. You find that presence in the yoga ritual. But the point is these practices like yoga and meditation and many other things, they're meant to 
to help you find that state. And then you're meant to be in that state all the, that's the goal of the journey to be in that state all the time. But you can be in that state to your question, whether it takes a lifetime of seeking or it takes, it can happen in an instant. It can happen in an instant. It's simply the realization that what you have been thinking of, I need to do to be happy. You don't like, it's the letting go. It's the surrender to life and say, wow, whatever it is perfect right now, maybe not the way I wanted it, my mind wanted it, but why does it have to be different? I could think, oh, I was meant to be in the Maldives right now. And I'm sitting here in the studio needing to talk to you, but there's nothing wrong. I'm really enjoying this by the way, but there's nothing wrong in whatever I am. Oh, I just lost a huge amount of money, which was my experience last year. And then the next day I woke up and I was breathing and it was a beautiful day. It was just my mind was attached to the idea, oh, I should have that money and now it's gone. Um, that's the problem, our attachment to it. The moment we let go of that and we're like, oh, actually it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be different. And of course I can change anything. Like I can, I. It's funny how you can basically, I think it was also Ram Das or one of his teachers who said, oh, I, what are you, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm not mentioning something. Oh, attached, are we? <laughs> because all suffering basically comes from being attached to expectations or a different reality than the what's actually happening, right? And because of that expectations, then you are you get disappointed, right? Whereas if you're not attached to the outcome whatsoever, how can you suffer, right? Because exactly. everything is but this is, is really I like. I cannot emphasize enough that this is it. And it might seem so distant because of where I am right now, but it actually is really simple Think I take a very simple and I think an ex example that every single person that's listening has experienced. Someone swears at you, someone calls you an idiot, an asshole, whatever word of swearing, and it really hits you or you're ugly or you're fat, mm. whatever, take whatever you want, whatever hurts you. This is, you give it meaning. If you don't, if you say, oh, this person must have a bad day, mm. but often it hurts us because it resonates with us. For example, if I have, if I am obese and someone calls me fat, I feel insulted because, but the point is my job is to, maybe this is a bad example, but what I'm trying to say is whatever it is, if someone calls me an asshole, then my job is to not, why do I define myself what you're thinking of me? That is my mistake. I make my worth. I feel I'm not whole. So what other mm. people think matters to me. And that makes me, that creates the suffering in the first place. And the person who are calling you an asshole is a reflection of his or her yes. inner state. And the need to then criticize others comes from a dissatisfaction with oneself. Yeah, so because they're trying to put themselves on top of on you. Top of you right, so, so in essence, you don't have to say anything. They are, they are doing enough to themselves that you can't even possibly do to them. Or I, as you like to tell me, you can, again, more as a joke, but you can say, is that so? Is that, is yeah, that exactly. so? And that's, imagine all the families that have been broken up or sons, daughters, not talking to their mom or dad or brothers and sisters and all because of things that they have applied meaning to. And regardless of that be that person being evil or that per this person being evil to you, then you're still stuck in worldview or perception where they should be different and they are not fair and the world should be fair. The outcome is different than what I'm expecting. And therefore I hold a grudge, I hold it against them. 
but you are the one suffering in all of this, right? You are the one who is actually not seeing your dad, not seeing your mom. They, the mom and dad's probably as sad deep down as you are, right? Because you're like, they might not be in the state where they can overcome their egoistic desire to say these things or do these things. But the irony is that the second you stop applying meaning to it, the second you are indifferent about the outcome, or at least not forcefully want an outcome, that is the moment where they then lose all power over you, right? Because you are now at a state where they can do and say whatever they want. And once you get to, to that stage and you then move even further towards having compassion for them, because of course, someone who is that much in distress and has a desire to hurt or say or do evil or do bad things to others, that is definitely not a desired state for anyone to be in, right? So you should more be compassionate, you should more, and that coming back to love, right? That you actually find love for them again, right? And once you then find love for them, then you've removed all the tools and weapons they can possibly have because you've disarmed them, right? If there's only compassion and love, then uh, they, they can't do anything. And then you end up often case like that is when you then try to also solve stuff because the other person sees that this is just not working. And if I'm only met by a love, then maybe I am also more open to, to meet the other person with love. So that's the irony of thing that we're just stuck in our ways and we never get to anywhere because uh, we're yeah, applying the, a meaning to it the, that we shouldn't. The only obstacle between where I want to be or rather where, how I want to feel, because that's what, I, what we really want, right? We want to feel love. We want to feel whole. We want to feel good. And we think things get us these things, but that's not true. So the only obstacle between how I want to feel, which is good or happy and where I am, how I feel right now is me. I'm the only thing in between. Mm. It's there is, and that's, it's all applied meaning because there is no meaning, right? Like it's all a perspective from our own mind. Yes. The whole world is as is there is no, there's no meaning to the world. We are applying the meaning. We talked about the tree the other day, the tree that had yellow leaves, right? And so that tree is now unhappy because it has yellow leaves gray hair or whatever, right? But the tree doesn't feel that, right? The tree doesn't have a perception of right and wrong and good and bad, right? The tree just is, right? Just as we just are, right? Like, we, we, like the, when we have gray hair and we become unhappy about the gray hair or no hair, that's an applied meaning, right? By default, everything just is. There's no good or bad, right? It cannot be good or bad because meaning is created in your mind Right? So everything is perfect. Everything like, is just as it is. Right? So it's coming to that acknowledgement that every good or bad thing is created in our mind and therefore also try, trying to avoid bad things, trying to seek out good things. Right? And hence, we're already creating dynamics in our lives where we're pulling each other to left and right and center instead of just being, right? Yeah, exactly. By me thinking this is good and this is bad, I already created the problem. It's like the moment we start, and this is also what happens when you grow up as a child, right? Or as a baby, you start labeling things. This is, this is that, and hence this is good. I like this, I don't like that. I like this food, I don't like this sound, etc. So it's really the, and this is too vague and I'm going to, go into it but like the problem or the only problem really is that we think there shouldn't be any problems or any pains and to elaborate on that is the switch and this was one of the most profound things I realized working with my coach 
is like the switch from victim to creatorship. Like we go through life and the ego goes through life as I am a victim of someone, of something, of the government, of the weather, of my friends, of my spouse, of my kids, of my bank account, of society, of the time, whatever. And when I'm a victim, I'm in prison, right? Because I can't anything, I can't do anything about it because other people or other things are doing things to me. I'm locked, I'm in lockdown now. I need to be unhappy. Yes, I probably would be more enjoyable if I could do what I want, but I don't have to be unhappy. It's me fighting with that reality that creates unhappiness. And that's the prison. And I have the key to it because the moment I realize, oh, I'm not a victim. I'm a creator. I create that experience. Everything changes. And of course, this is like a muscle. I think of it like going to the gym. You need to go to the gym or I need to go to the gym and I need to do push-ups if I want to have muscles. And so it's the same here. I need to train this muscle that moves me from victim, from this victim thinking, which is what the ego does. It's other people's fault. It's he does that and she does that. No, it is how I see those things. And that's my creatorship. And the incredible thing, what I've been realizing, especially in the most more recent part of my journey, is once I take on that creatorship, I basically take the key of the prison cell because the key is with me in the prison cell. I have created the prison cell of victimhood. I open the, open the gate, I step out when I do that and I take ownership for everything that happens in my life. Someone screams at me, someone does something to me. I take ownership, not like I'm saying I am the cause, but you know how I'm dealing with the situation. Then it's empowering and then everything starts changing. Suddenly life starts supporting my journey rather than creating obstacles because this is the very thing I'm here to learn. So when I get out of victimhood and I step into what I call creatorship and I see how everything in my life I'm creating, how I was losing the money because I made certain decisions. It wasn't the market going down. It was me not selling. And all of this, then I'm like empowered. And when I'm empowered, that is elevating, right? So suddenly I'm like, oh, I can, I am creating my life. I am not a victim of circumstances. And of course, life will constantly challenge me because that's what we're here to experience. And the more I'm going into my creator seat, the more empowered and the more life will suddenly happening for me. The victimhood is life is happening to me. I move to creatorship is life is happening for me. And then it's through me and then it's as me. And that's when you're on a Buddha level where it's just like life is meant to flow through us. Like literally like we're in a river, a droplet of water and we're flowing down a river. The droplet of water or the river itself doesn't say, oh, I don't want to go left. It just goes with the riverbed. So life is the riverbed and we're the water flowing down. And our job is to not, if I'm the water droplet, I'm not trying to up, flow upstream or turn left. I'm going with the river of life. And that's what is called the surrender and the letting go. I can make choices. I can, I can decide where I step next, what I say next, who I talk next, but I don't need to control what the person responds or what happens next. It's just a continuous, I take a step, whatever step meaning, literally a step physically or a step in terms of decisions or what I communicate or what I say to my spouse, to my partner, to whatever, to a client. And then I surrender and life responds. And then I take another step. That's it. I don't need to have a 10 year plan. I can have a vision, of course. I want to go there, but I'm open. I might end up something completely different. When I came out of uni and I became an investment banker, 
I was like, oh, I'm going to invest in banker and then work my way up and then become a CEO and then I run the world. Okay, I'm somewhere very different, but I'm very happy with where I'm at. It's like exactly the place where I needed to be. And maybe that's another like powerful point is I am not here to have the life I want. I am here to live the life I came here to live. And so the more I'm getting into authenticity, like who am I really? Like the conversation we are having, like this is, it feels so natural to me and this whole journey. But before I was a banker and entrepreneur and I tried to make my mark in the world, etc. the more I am myself, the more life flows. Easier. And the more impactful it will, I think I will have much more impact with who I am now, even though it doesn't matter, but I will just as a result of me being myself. What we are lacking in the world, actually, to come back to the point of suffering, is authenticity. Like people are being politically correct and they say that and that and they're being someone because they think their parents want to be them to be that person or society wants to be that person. Oh, I need to be successful because everybody is successful and this is what people do. That's the bullshit. We need to be authentic. Who am I? What is my journey? What am I passionate about? What gets me light up? Like literally the word light up is meaning I light up. What gets, and we can just look in life. What are the moments when we are at ease, when we're pleasant, when we're flowing? What circumstances, what people, what activities? And that's where I need to go. So if I'm lost in life and I'm struggling and I'm suffering, I simply need to ask the question, what lights me up? And then some people might say, I have no clue. Look at the last, whatever, 20, 30, 40 years you've been living. What moments were the moments where you were like, wow, this was so beautiful. I was fully present. I love that. I cannot stop talking about that. I cannot. This is where I would love to put all my money. And then, of course, fears constrains me. I'm not, oh, maybe, let's say, maybe I want to be a jazz musician. Oh, I cannot do that career. It's so difficult. It's hard to make. Yeah, but if that is your deep desire, I'm not talking from an ego perspective because I want to impress people, but because that's a natural expression. Like Paulo Coelho, he was told by his parents that can't write. Yeah, he can. He, he shouldn't write. He should get a normal job. And mm. he got a corporate. I don't know exactly what he did. He studied a normal, a normal. Got a, I think a business or something related degree, and he started a normal job. But he was deeply unhappy. And so when we, I'm gonna finish the story in a second. When we are suffering, it's actually feedback of life that we're off path. So he was deeply unhappy, and just he wanted to write. So he started writing in his spare time, and he started writing, writing, and then he quit his job. And it, didn't, it wasn't an overnight success. I don't know how long it took, 10 years or more. But now when you, he loves and he says, I was just a writer. I just needed to write. And then in turn, you will be, I wouldn't call it successful, but you will be fulfilled. And most likely much more successful than if you try to be someone. So coming back to the question of meaning of life, the meaning of life is to finding back to yourself. And who that self is not something you choose. It's something you've always been. But uh, then... If we go down to maybe practicalities, right? So a lot of people would, including myself, would say that if you have family, if you have kids you need to provide for, if you have bills that need to be paid every month, then, you know, you end up in a, with obligations that you need to fulfill or where you are very much limited into what you can do or change because that's just the responsibility you have. And, and how can I then make any changes, mm. right? Because this is just not about me. This is about my family. This is about maybe someone I'm caring for that needs my help. Like Then I have to make these sacrifices or suppress certain things 
in myself to say, okay, I want to go and this part makes me happy. I want to be an author. Okay, but it will take 10 years and I won't make any money, but what's going to happen in the meantime? Because if you have 10 kids or you have two kids or you have a bill or electricity bills that have to be paid, all this stuff, how can I then do that? So a lot of people are perhaps stuck where they say, this is not a possibility for me. What do you tell those people? So with the electricity bill, really, there's no way, there's no solution. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So life, again, we're not here to have the easy, safe path. So, and now again, it's about the discernment of between the intuition, the deeper knowing, and I want to be a writer. Is it, I want to be a writer or I not be a writer? That's very different. Oh, I want to be a superstar. I want to be whatever. Yeah, that's your ego again. But if there's a deeper calling for you to express yourself, then, and it, if the calling is, and I'm not, this is not, oh, I think I might want to be a writer. No, again, I'm not. It's, the, it's what I'm here. And of course, it's not always clear what that is, but that's about removing the noise. So again, that's the power of getting quiet. That's the power of meditation, all these practices to get very quiet. And then that truth will come from within. It's, oh, this is what I need to do. And then you have all these constraints. If you have a family, you have responsibilities, you have bills to pay. And then the question is, that's, and that's, that forces you to, uh, to really look at yourself and say, okay, am I here to be a writer or to express, to touch the world through writing? And if that is really the truth, you will have to take the steps, whatever necessary. So maybe you have to reduce your expenses. I would even go as far, and this is not a recommendation or anything. As I said at the very beginning, I have no answers. This is just for you to find your own answers, to get plant some seeds. Maybe the result has to be that, yes, you're here to express yourself in a certain way and you can only do that by leaving your family. And then you will have to leave your family because this is your deeper truth. So this is not about ego or I don't, I want something more than my family. No, this is about you not. It's a little bit for me, maybe not as dramatic, but in a way also dramatic for me, this whole journey of the last eight years looking for, it was, I could not look mm. like I had to look. And my parents, friends, etc. people around me became very successful entrepreneurs, some of them running unicorn companies. And I was like, I'm like here goofing through the world, trying to look for answers. And people were like, oh, you have all these talents. Why are you not doing something meaningful with your life? But for me, this was the most meaningful life, meaningful thing I could do. And many times I thought to myself, what am I doing? And the irony here again is that all these people in your life want you to do X, Y, and Z, right? Because deep down, their intention is probably for you for the, you to have a happy life, right? They would like to have you live a happy life. But their opinion or expectations as to what you need to do in their construct will not make you happy, right? So like, the fact that you are then going on a path that is your path will end up making you the happiest. And because you are the happiest, it will make them even happier, right? So everyone is actually happier if they're following their own life path, right? Instead of wanting to project their opinions or their logic upon other people on what they should be doing, because no, they will never know what is your life path, right? Only you know what your life path is, right? Or what your purpose is. Uh, and again, like a lot of That's, yeah, a lot of life decisions are based on other people's opinion and not necessarily your own life path. Maybe you don't know your life path, and then that will then you have show yourself later. But I think so. This is a, thank you. This is a beautiful segue to another like 
core concept that, that I especially became aware of over the last year, it's this concept of inner authority or what I've previously referred to inner knowing or that deeper knowing or intuition. It's like no one, not a single person, not a single institution, not a single government, not a single parent has the answers for you. Your job is to find your own answers. And the only place you'll find them is inside of you. And the only place you will hear them because you said, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know how to, what to do tomorrow. Okay, get quiet. Like earlier this year, I did something that was very powerful that I was resisting, which is getting really quiet because I was like, okay, what is my next steps, etc. And I was full of questions and I locked myself down. I stopped doing everything. The only thing I did was meditation and just quieting my mind. And you can say, oh, I don't have time. Maybe then just do it for one hour or for one day. It's not about the quantity, but the answers are all within you. You don't have to find them outside and no one else has them for you. That's also, if someone tells you this is what you should do, this is what is their projection for you. It could be your parents, your friends, society, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's, this is like the serpent again, leading you to the apple. That's, you don't want to, it's not that you cannot talk to other people. Like you can ask someone, oh, being an investment banker, how is it? How is it? Like what do you like, what you don't like? So information gathering is part of life, but decision-making is in, entirely within you and not in your mind. It shouldn't be in your mind. It, it shouldn't actually be decision-making. It should be feeling into a deeper knowing. And now people would say, oh yeah, but then how do I know? And then the next step. And the beauty about knowing is, or that knowing process is, you it only informs the next step you don't need to know how the rest of your life plays out that's a matter of what the mind tries to do you just want to get quiet and listen and oh am i going to dinner tonight or not and you don't strategize you you feel it and then it might be against your mind often it will be against your mind but it, that again is what is called trust or faith and that's what even the Bible refers to and what is really meant by that. It's very practical. This is not like religious voodoo or whatever. Mm. It is having faith in yourself. So my job is to quiet myself down so I hear that inner, it's not even a voice, it's a feeling. And then, it's a gut feeling. Yeah, and it can be in a gut, it can be in different places, it can be in the heart, it can be in the solar plexus, it can be in the second chakra, it's, it is, but it's below the neck. And you feel it literally. And the more clean you actually are, so, you know, away from substances and distractions and noise and phone, that's the beauty of going into quietude, really to hear that voice or to feel that voice. And then, okay, I know what I need to do. And yes, it might be some very tough decisions. You might need to sell a house to do something. You might need to get a divorce. You might, it's right. And with that confidence, going through life is a whole completely different ballgame. You, that's what you want to remove your doubt. And the way to remove doubt is to find your answers within. And that gives you then the confidence to live from that place and everything will fall into place. It might be very difficult at the beginning. It's like a toddler. You first need to learn to get up and walk and then you stand up, etc., etc. So you need to practice or become better and better at listening to your own gut feeling or your own yeah. sensations because it's very subtle right and with the monkey mind there's a constant noise and stimulation from the world but there is no doubt because you already know yes it's within you it's again the way i think about it it's the diamond is there and all everything you need to know and it's just piled there's a lot of shit on top of it 
And our job is to remove the shit so we get to the answer to, or not the answer, but to the core, to the truth. Yeah, I think it's really, that's the way to put it, the truth. And we are constantly, there's constantly distractions. I recently learned that about how to navigate ayahuasca and ayahuasca is the same as life, just in a very accelerated and very compressed way. And the way to navigate in ayahuasca is to be in a half drunken state, not alcohol wise, but like you're just in a drive in a driver's seat. Sorry, you're just in the seat, you're not and you see whatever comes to you. So you're surrendered. You're not and you're not getting distracted with whatever pops left and right. You're just like keeping a straight vision, a gazing, and you just see what comes to you and you take it in. You're not fighting, you're not running away, you're not clinging to something. The same with life. I take a step and I'm open to whatever happens next. And from that state, there is no good and bad. There's just something happens and then I respond to life and then life responds to me. It's like a tree that's growing. The tree doesn't think about it. It just grows, it expands. And then if it cannot go further up, then it starts bending towards the right. It doesn't complain, oh, now I have to bend to right. I wanted to go up. So this resistance of and, and the amazing thing, what happens if you have that faith, if you have that tr trust, if you do surrender is magic happens. And now everybody would say, oh, how do you know that? I know it because I'm experiencing it. For whoever listens, it is to have to develop that trust yourself. And that's what I meant with wisdom. I can talk all day. You can talk all day. We can have all the answers. In the end, you need to, everybody need to, needs to do this work themselves to say, okay, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to trust. Let's see how it unfolds. And then, of course, I can say, oh, it doesn't work, etc. You can always, but you will only know when you, the way I visualize it, it is you're at a cliff and you're hanging on with an arm at a branch of a tree and you're looking down and it goes 100 foot or 100 meters down. And I'm like, okay, letting go. I need to let go. I need to jump. Like I'm going to, I know I'm going to land softly or I, that's the faith I'm having. But I'm like, oh, let me still hold on. I'm still holding on to the end of the branch, the end of the leaf, the tip of the leaf, and I'm hanging over. Only when I let go, that is the surrender. So as long as I'm attached, I am not getting what we are talking about. And that is, the, that is what we're here to learn, to let go. It doesn't mean I'm apathic to life and I'm just like hanging and I'm just in my couch and letting life happen to me. No, it's I'm open to life. I'm taking a proactive, I'm decisive, I'm clear. I'm, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. I'm, even if it means going against what everybody else does. And that's also how real innovation happens, right? Not that you need to innovate anything, but the people that changed the world are the people that did something different. They took a risk. They did something no one had else done before. But you probably know people in your life who are control freaks, right? And if you ask them, maybe plant medicine, maybe this, that would be something that would be beneficial to you. And they probably have no desire to look within in that sense or no desire to change anything. They're perfectly happy as is. A lot of people could be in that state, right? And so are they not just happy as they are? They have everything under control. They're content. Right? Why do they need to rock the boat? They don't. That's also the beauty, right? Neither, I think none of us here is to tell anybody what to do. We're just exploring the menu. And if they're really completely fulfilled, although I would challenge if a control freak can be fulfilled, because the very essence of life is 
as I, from where I'm at and what I learned and believe and what I'm trying to convey here is to let go of control. So the control freak, or whether it's a freak or not, but whoever tries to control life is very much stopping life from happening because I need to control everything. And of course, the world always does something different. So I can, by definition, not be happy because I wanted to certain- So you say that there will be so many f points of friction in their life and where reality doesn't then unfold as they want it to be. And in those situations, they'll be frustrated, suffering, unhappy. But yeah, some people then are capable of then maybe still staying afloat of that, but still very much being control freaks and being very firm in their beliefs of this is how it is and it can't be any other way. And this is, this is what I know, right? So no desire whatsoever as to challenge their own opinions and, or mind or way of living we're being, right? And that, that is their choice, right? There is no judgment. That's another thing, right? If I or you or anybody is judging something, we are actually judging our ourselves. So judging all these negative emotions that we are harboring against other people are actually hurting ourselves. If someone doesn't want to do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, even though I believe this would change their lives. Yeah. That's something also I had to learn with my own family as I'm going out and exploring all these things. It wasn't for them or they believe it is not for them. Yeah. I, of course, I might have an opinion, but it is their life and they have to. That's the beauty of life. And that's why life is so powerful as a teacher. You make your decisions and you suffer the consequences. And free from what is right or wrong, I don't know. And I don't know what's right or wrong for you. I might have certain beliefs. And then when I work with someone, I try to show them things, show them a menu. And what I try to show someone as a coach is to open their vision, right? It's not saying, hey, you should do that. I might have an opinion, but that's not my job. My job is simply to show something that they haven't seen before. Because we all go through life and the older we get, and the more opinionated we are about life. And that was actually one of the biggest hardest things that I learned in my journey is like this need to constantly challenge my own beliefs. If I think I know something, I'm already limiting the op that I, I think I know my, my human being is the only thing that is there and the and consciousness is in the mind and my, the body is a result of the physical reality, whatever beliefs, these are just beliefs until I challenge them. And I'm really, I'm not even saying you need to be certain about something, but I want to have the most close to the most likely truth, right? So the only way to find that, and that's what I've been doing all these years, I realize now, is challenge my beliefs. I was like, oh, is that so to myself, basically? And so again, coming back to your point, like what people that don't want to change, they're control freaks. I believe that is very hard to get to the full potential of one's, not just in terms of one's expression, but one's feeling aliveness because control is the opposite of aliveness. It's like, I'm trying to contain things. I'm trying to, and you can't. So there will be constant suffering. Plus, not only because you can't contain, but also you're limiting your life to, you, you quench the life force. Life wants to show you things that are not in your plan because you haven't experienced them yet. But by controlling, you're prohibiting things. For example, you say, oh, I don't, I never want to leave. I never want to leave living in Denmark because everything is perfect here. Yes, that's perfectly fine. This, you will live with the consequences, but maybe if you were to go out and explore, you would say, oh, Spain is so much better for me because it's warmer and the people are maybe more, I, without again, no judgment, but without exploring 
And that's also what life is about. It's about taking risks, not stupid risks, but intuitive. If I have the desire to try something and everybody tells me it doesn't make any sense and I listen to myself and I go inside and am I, I really not want that from a craving, but I need that. That is who I am. I need to do base jumping. And everybody says, you're going to die. Yeah, but this is just who I am. Okay, go base jumping. And so this is, and I take a risk. I take a risk of being wrong. I take a risk of losing money. I'm taking a risk of losing my life. But if I'm not alive, if I'm not living, what's the, I'm here to be alive, which doesn't mean I have to do really dangerous things. It just means I have to take risks. If I don't take risks, I won't get the reward. Yeah, no, I think the key here is that you, you are not, you're not saying how people should live their life. Everyone should live their life as they want to live their life. And the only thing is perhaps not a recommendation or if you will, maybe. Yeah, we know, we know we basically, first of all, the words should and try, we should all scratch from yeah. our vocabulary yeah. because there is no should. However, we do know based on ancient texts and all the other people that came before us, and which it's written and it's built and you can look at people also who is more alive. I'm not saying more successful and aliveness. You can see someone in just the way you feel it. They're not trying to, they're not trying to compete. They're not trying to impress. They're just in peace. There's that feeling of peace and love and generosity in them. And then you look at these people and what are they doing different? And so we know certain things that work and like coming back. The, recomm the recommendations based on what I've experienced and what I'm embodying myself. I think that's another key part is don't listen to what people say, look at what they do. Because that's again, this difference between knowing the awareness bit and embodiment, actually doing it. I can know all the answers. I can, it's, yeah, think about it yourself. If you have ever smoked, like I might know I should stop smoking. And again, I'm using should as in not because that's what one does, but because I've realized it myself. I want to stop smoking. And it's good for my health and it's good for everything else. And so I know the answer is yes for me, but I haven't stopped smoking. So then all of that is useless, all that knowledge. So don't listen to people. Don't believe what they're saying. Look at their lives and then look at, are they fulfilled? And the way to see that is you look into their eyes and the more light, the more bright they shine the eyes, the more life force is within them. And so that's, I would use that as navigation. I would look at where, who is really in their, in, in their center? And then what can I learn from these people? And I could even ask them, I could ask them, what have you learned about life? Why are you always, no matter what happens, you're always good. And then the person will impart with some, for them, it is wisdom. For you, it will just be knowledge because you're hearing just the words. And then you can say, oh, I can try that too. I can also maybe try that. And maybe I try just for a, a day or a, an hour. And I'm like, oh, this really worked. For example, this is not meaningful life, but maybe bringing ease into life. When I get triggered by something, someone screams at me, someone tries to hit me, someone tries to do something I don't like, my body will automatically respond. It's the instinctual response, fight, fight or freeze. Now, instead of doing that, and usually then it just gets worse, right? I punch back, I scream back, I, it escalates the argument and then it gets a divorce or whatever, or worse. Instead of that, I just take a moment I remind myself, I don't want to react. I want to respond. I take a deep breath and body and mind are connected both ways. So if I take a deep, slow breath or several, my heart rate comes down. I create space between the event and my reaction. And I say, oh, I don't have to scream back. I, I, maybe I need a minute. I go to the other room. I breathe. I relax myself. I relax my muscles. 
And then I come back and say, hey, why don't we, why don't we continue that conversation another day? Or I can, maybe I'm calm now and I continue it. And so there's so many tools that can help us on our journey of life. Yet I think what I've done most of my life and what I think most of people do is we just are in our kind of autopilot mode and we're not open anymore. Oh, we judge everything immediately. Oh no, this is not what I do and this is not what I like and I only eat meat and I don't do that. Have you tried other things? Have you? So I think maybe a beautiful way also to what something to take away from this process is like be curious, be curious and be open and catch yourself when you judge. Because when you judge, you limit, you create your own prison. But is that something that, you know, typically as the older you get, the more in your own ways you become, right? So then you have your preferences and that becomes even more important. And you know how then you end up as a grumpy old man who only wants this and the other thing is bad and no change or all change is bad, right? Like, why do we end? Why is that the general tendency that people end in such a state? Is that because they're just repeating the same pattern so that you're rewiring the brain into constantly judging, constantly saying, this is bad, this is good, you want this without challenging it? Or is it just the nature of the human mind that after we reproduce, then the path of our own destruction has begun. And then from that point on, we become less and less of living beings and more and more of decomposing decay that just needs to yes. disappear. Again, there's what I love about like exploring these topics is there's, it's not black and white. So there's two parts to the answer. Yes, there are phases of life, just like a heartbeat. There's an expansion phase, a contraction phase, a relaxation phase. There's four phases. And in life, it's the same, right? You expand and then you contract and you relax towards the end of your life. However, even science knows now that the brain's plasticity is ongoing throughout life. However, it's like a muscle. Whichever muscle you train is the strong muscle. So if you do something, if you wake up every morning at the same time, in the same place, having the same morning routine, it's think of it when you're skiing, you're carving into the snow. And at the end of the day, that, that if you always take the exact same route, it's very hard to get out of it. You're sliding in it, right? You can't break out of it. And so what you, if you want to explore new things, the longer you have done something, you need to put, have new fresh powder and it's erasing that. And the best way is to rewrite the program. So it's not fighting your routine, it's to change your routine. So suddenly do something completely crazy. Like the next morning, you're going to wake up at a different time in a different place, doing a different routine. And then you're like, oh, I never thought I would like that. But actually now that I did, oh, wow, actually I did like it. And now I'm going to do more of that. So the only way again to change is to train that muscle of open-minded and curiosity and exploring. And then you can realize, okay, I don't like the new routine, but I'm going to maybe change something else. And so it's a muscle. If you always do the same every day, all the time, you, you train that particular, that's the path you're carving and it becomes harder and harder. And that's why it becomes harder as we're getting older. Again, it's the easy choice. Right? It's, a, it's, a yeah, it's what I know. It's what I know. It's what you know. Yeah. And, and so again, I think open-mindedness, curiosity. There's also, I think 10 years ago, so this with the Harvard paper, so created this like fixed mindset and growth mindset. The growth mindset will serve you, but you again need to train the muscle because it's, we always fall into routine. It's similar if, for example, a relationship has come to its end. We always stay longer in it because we're, ah, oh, then I'm going to be alone or the person is not going to take care of me. 
yeah, but what if then you meet someone 10 times as incredible and by delaying the decision, you're withholding. So again, life, I think, serves us beautifully because when we suffer, it is simply the message that something needs to change. And that's the signal for me, the trigger to start looking. And if I refuse, then the suffering will just increase and it actually increases more and more. And it goes from mental suffering to actually physical suffering. Physical disease is mostly an expression of a life of path. It is, it even things like cancer and diabetes. And I would know I'm going to get a lot of shit for saying this, but I can, if someone can, really wants cancer, to source, I can back yeah. it, I can back it up, but this is beyond this podcast. Cancer is always a little bit special because how would you explain cancer in a five-year-old Right, like yeah, but then we come to ancestral trauma and past lives. I could see that, but I remember reading somewhere that, for example, Alzheimer's or dementia, if you're senile, that they like it, where they have done studies on also depression. So people who are depressed or more likely to be depressed, they also are depressed. They're more likely to also get become get Alzheimer's or dementia and the argument was that if you are in a depressed state that might be because you are not living a life true to who you are right so the yeah. gap between who you really are and the life you're living is too big and therefore in your life you're playing an avatar mm. you're playing you're, you're, you're playing not, a role you're playing a role right that it's not you and if you do that for decades or longer periods of time you eventually forget who you are Right, so you, you forget who you truly are, and that is what is happening with dementia. Right, you're basically losing, like, the sense of who are you with that sure. dementia, right? Because you've for that many years been acting, and that I could see some logic to, right? That you know, that maybe, might be the case, but maybe for the cancer, it's a little bit more long, longer stretch. But I, I, like, I've heard that argument before. Let me pick up on what you said specifically, and then make the connection to other diseases like cancer. The body is a vessel for you to experience life. We have hands, we have senses, sight, all of these things. You are the soul within it. That is the consciousness. That is, you are the one experiencing. You are not the body. You're the experiencer of everything the body and the mind experiences. And if you are off path of who you're inauthentic in your being, you're wearing out yourself, first mentally, and that would be depression, and then physically, because the body cannot be sustained you're so off of who you are it is it's a putting the wrong gasoline into a car you are the driver of the car you are not the car but you're here to maintain the car it needs to go into inspection it needs to be driven on the road it's supposed to be driven on and all these things and you need to put the right gas in and you need to change the oil from time to time your job is to maintain this vessel which is the body and you want to feed it so you want to eat the right things but you all want to mentally feed it and do use it for the right thing the thing you came here to do in life, to be who it is, which is, again, this intuition. Like, for me, my journey is, and it took me four decades to realize that, and some people never realize it, so I'm, I'm blessed to have realized it, but my journey is to have these explorations, to have done this, and I believe to help empower others on their journey by talking about it and other things. And so when we get removed from that, then we start suffering and it becomes even physical disease. And this is maybe for another po podcast. The sim just that simple notion, whatever suffering, physical, mental, etc., are just feedback mechanisms to say, hey, you're going down the wrong path. You're off path, off your path. And your path is ind individual. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. That's also the beauty. 
inner authority and there is no external authority also makes empowers you also because you don't have to look what everybody else is doing you just have to listen to yourself and then have the courage the faith the trust whichever word you like to do it because you will be challenged right because your friends family your reality financial constraints whatever they will challenge you but we're incredibly powerful we are so con we live in such a convenience world that we see oh i have to first study and then i have to get a job and i have such and such money then i have to buy a car and a house that's a very limited as steve jobs said that's a very limited view of life life can be so much broader when you look around you everything that you've seen has been built by people has been built by people and and by people no smarter than you and you can build things and you can build things that other people use and once you realize that you'll never be the same so I was just quoting Steve Jobs after he has been kicked out of Apple. And every time I say that or I hear it, I get goosebumps because it resonates. That's another thing. Your body talks to you whenever I say something that deeply resonates, which means it's deeply true for myself, then I get goosebumps. And so I know and I pay attention. So it is life is really beautiful in a sense of that it will be as good or as bad or as painful, let's say, as you make it in a sense of, are you true to yourself? Are you authentic? Do you have the courage to be yourself and to express yourself, unafraid of the consequences of what other people think and do, the financial, etc.? And you will live a beautiful life. I can't, I can't make you believe that and I can't, I'm not here to guarantee anything, but from everything I learned is, and this is what I follow. Amen. Amen. I have one more question. Just one. Wow. This one is perhaps a good one to, to wrap it all up. So if you could travel back in time and meet the 10 year old Vincent right now, or phrased in another way, if you had kids, what would be the most important thing you could teach them? Which is, I think, a summary of the whole conversation. And if I would have to summarize it in a few sentences is your job is to find out who you are which you do by quieting everything down out don't get distracted what's happening outside of you go inside listen find that voice and then have the courage to follow it nothing else matters and by doing that you will light up you will feel great you will be alive it might not be an easy life but it will be a very fulfilling life and you will be very present and you will shine the light for other people. There's a beautiful poem by Marianne Williamson called the Our Deepest Fear. And I'm not going to, I cannot recite it by heart, but it basically says, it says, we're not afraid of darkness. We are afraid of our own light. And, but what are we really afraid? Who are you? We, are, we think, who am I to be beautiful, successful, smart, intelligent? Who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your job is not to play playing small, but to light up and by lighting up you like you give other people permission to light up so the beauty is not only when you do that when you follow your own light and you therefore light up and you remove the clouds other people see the light and they will say oh i can you bring other you light other people up yeah that's positivity and also attracts like yeah, positivity, light. right? So if, you, if people see that you are living the life you're supposed to live, you light up, right? You can see it in the eyes. You can see it in the energy, right? Just from entering the room. And immediately you also feel that 
people are attracted to that, right? They may have the feeling, sensation of, oh, everything's going great. And then all of a sudden everything is manifesting itself to you, right? Because you are attracting all these things f like with your energy. Literally. And it's literally, right? And it's coming to you, right? And you're in a flow, right? So and energy is actually, in, like energy is a real thing. We can feel it, right? As you just said, you come into a room, you feel the energy and it either attracts you or it repulses you or it's high or low. And so this is something to tune in as well. Like, you know, where, like, where am I drawn to? What does feel good rather than to think, where am I supposed to be? Where should I be? No, what does my, my feeling tell me? Oh, I want to be in that room instead of that room. Okay, that's a sign. So even maybe in the other room, there's the more important people. I am drawn to this room. Okay. Or maybe in the other room, there's the more beautiful women or men or richer men or whatever you're seeking, what your mind is seeking, but you're drawn to the other. Your, cur your job in life is to feel that, get in touch with that feeling, and then have the courage to take a decision against what everybody else is doing, against your mind, against certainty, against resource maximization. And all the beauty will, will come from there. Yeah, I agree. We, 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 I, we agree, and then the hard job is doing it. That is, <laughs> exactly. that is what, I, what we started off, right? It's one thing having the awareness, I need to stop smoking. And another thing is actually doing it. And coming back to the point you said, does it take a lifetime? It can ha all happen in a moment. The moment I realize that, and I know it is truth, then I can be it. And are there any shortcuts? No, as in, Damn it. There, there are, there is, it's literally, it's the same as with the, the personal trainer. It can show you how to, or the coach, whatever it can show you, or a book or a podcast can show you how to the doors. do push-ups more effectively. So in that sense, there can is, open the door, but you yeah, have to walk through it. Exactly. But you have to do the push-ups. Now there might be a better way to do it, a better position, a faster way to building up the muscle. So there is a faster way to awakening or a faster way to become present. And it is, for example, listening to this type of content. It's about asking questions. How do I spend my time out of the 24 hours? Eight hours I sleep, hopefully. And then how do I spend the other 16 hours? Do I just spend them on having fun and making a lot of money? Or do I take time out to reflect? Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Where am I going? What's the purpose? Why am I here? And I can say, okay, I don't care about those questions, but then I take the long route. So again, the beauty here is life gives me exactly what I need to have the experience I came here. And if I refuse to learn, if I'm stubborn, if I'm resisting, it will just get worse until it gets so bad that I either die, my body doesn't sustain me anymore, physically I get diseased, etc., or it's so bad that I'm just like, fuck, I'm gonna change everything and I do a 180. And this is what really adverse life events do. When I was kicked out of my own company, it really made me question a lot of things. I would have never asked those questions. And now I see the beauty in it, which maybe this is also a beautiful thing to wrap it up. Is like everything is a gift. Everything serves something much higher. And it makes me think of the parable of the father, the son and the horse where the horse runs away and everybody is like, all the neighbors are, oh, you're so unlucky. And the father says, maybe, or he says, who knows what's good and bad. And then the next day, the horse comes back with 10 wild horses. And then we, everybody's, oh, you were right. You're so lucky. And the father again says, who knows what's good and bad. And then his son breaks the leg, et cetera, et cetera. And this is life. 
this is not just a parable. This is life. All the you never know what's good fortune yeah. or what's misfortune you, you, in the moment. Like only when you look back, and that was also what Steve Jobs said, right? Then you can connect. Yeah, the you dots. can only you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust in something. God, karma, you got the universe. That's exactly what you talked about today. It's but how? When is death then coming? Death is coming when you learned your lesson. Death is coming when you didn't learn your lesson. Why? What's the? How do you connect? Well, there's there's, there's disease death basically because your body doesn't support you anymore because you're so off the body says like the soul cannot doesn't want to be in the body anymore i had actually an ayahuasca experience where i and again that's the beauty about ayahuasca will not make you live the life you came here to live it will just show you things just like a private personal trainer shows you things you still have to make the changes which again is the embodiment part that's the hard part but it actually shows you things very powerfully so that it maybe makes it easier to have to change. And I was in an experience where I was in my body and I couldn't, I wanted to get out of the body because I was resisting what I was showing. I didn't want to do it. And so the feeling was, and that's actually what also happens in life. Our soul doesn't want to be in the body anymore. And so the body kind of cranks, it's unsupported. The life force doesn't flow through. Like literally, these are not... And we can go into the, another podcast, into the physics and the energetics of it. Like the problem why science and why we in the Western world mostly don't understand it is because we look at the, we do look at, the, we have a reductionist worldview and we just look at the material realm. But there is something like energy. Every cell has energy. The chakras, they really do exist. The meridians, all of that. So once you start to taking a holistic body and consciousness doesn't reside in the brain, is similar, just a kind of interface or antenna that coordinates everything, but I am not this body. And when you start appreciating that, and again, I cannot emphasize whoever listens right now, thinks that that's totally crazy. I used to think that's totally crazy. And then I started questioning is, oh, why do I actually think that crazy? What do I actually know? And I ask question, question, just asking why is one of the most powerful questions. If I believe something really strongly, and then I ask why, and I cannot answer it with why. And most people say, oh, this is just the way it is. I, would, I was never the person who accepted that. I remember in investment banking, I was like, oh, why are we doing that? Oh, this is just the way it is. You can believe that. And I'm, there's no judgment here, but that won't get you to truth. That will just, you're self-righteous. And, and you're harming yourself when you refuse to explore questions and challenge your own beliefs. It's not even about, it's not about being right. Not at all. It's just about finding truth for yourself. And so you ask, and then you realize, oh, why chakras or what people thousands of years wrote down? Maybe they, it does make some sense. Maybe I should explore it. And recently I did a, I did a holotropic breath workshop where you basically, there's no substance. You just breathe in a certain fashion, also not hyperventilating. You're just having a certain breathing cycle. And again, this is not something to try at home by yourself, but you want to have supervision and support. You all enter altered state of minds simply by changing your breath. And in, in my experience, all my chakras lit up. I could feel them distinctly, the six chakras in the body, like as wheels, because they are energetic wheels. And this is really going outside of the purview of this podcast. But all to say, there's so much like this whole journey has been humbling for me in realizing so what, don't I, know. what I don't know, really. And right when you look at a pie, the pie of what I do that I know is one a, a tiny slice. And then there's a slice of what I do that I don't know. 
And then there's a huge slice is what I don't know that I don't know. And that pie, that slice is just growing as my pie is growing. The more I learn, the more I realize is what I don't know that I don't know. And that, and I think that's a gift if you're talking earlier about that open-mindedness and curiosity is helping you on finding, connecting with life force and your purpose and finding the meaning of life is like this humility. I don't know what I don't know. And that helps you to go on that journey rather than, oh, this is having a fixed mindset. This is how the world works. Your brain has no clue how the world works. That's why it's also a bad decision to tool. Why does it have no clue? Because everything it knows is just memories from your life experience. That's why you think things differently than I do and someone in the middle of Africa has a completely different perception or an indigenous shaman. Why is that? If it would be clear what's true, then we should all agree. No, we all have different experiences which lead us to different beliefs, but they're just beliefs based on our experiences. Had we experienced something else, we would live a different life. And when you realize and embrace that, you're realizing, oh, I am just doing what I have been taught by life, but I could have been taught different things and I would make different decisions. Maybe money isn't that important. Maybe it's more important than I'm filled Why don't I try that? And that opens the door. Yeah, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the meaning of life. It was a short question, but a long answer. But I think we got around most of it. Of course, this is the tip of the iceberg. We could continue talking about this for a long time, which we also do, Vincent and I. So there will probably be a part two at some point. But I think we got some, or you got some really good bullets across. And yeah, I hope you guys out there found it interesting. Feel free to ask any questions both to me and I will forward them to Vincent, but yeah, it would be really on that note. It would be really interesting if people would want a follow up to hear the questions. What didn't make questions sense? questions? Yeah. And also what didn't make sense? What do you completely disagree with? Hit us hard or hit me hard or whoever. And, and then we can pick it up and say, Hey, let's go from there. Thanks Vincent. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard, please share with friends or random people in general so they too can waste their time listening to golden nuggets of life wisdom from your host, Henrik Silmer. Join us next month for another episode of The Honest Podcast.